Hello, welcome to the Lost Harrow test episode number three, I believe. Um, and uh, joining me today, uh, as previously, is uh, Eric Sayor. Hi. And uh, also, uh, on the uh, engineering side, is uh, Alan Mir. I'm the guy who sits in the back and listens to Wham. That's right. Oh, yeah. And uh, I am your host, uh, uh, the, the editor-in-chief of... Las Haro, uh, Arlen Haro. So let's uh, talk about some films. And uh, our theme for this episode, Test 3, is uh, movies with unresolved or sort of ambiguous endings. Um, the best example that I will give sort of is just, you know, the one that most people, I would assume, have seen. If you haven't, that's fine. But watch it and... It, you can just watch this ending on its own, and you get an idea of what an ambiguous ending is, which is The Empire Strikes Back. And for those who don't remember Empire Strikes Back, it ends with uh, Luke having lost. Like, he he lost the duel with Darth Vader. Um, the rebellion, as far as we know, is in shatters, um, and Han Solo has been captured by Jabba the Hutt. Um and, and, we, that's, and, we, and we know Luke, Luke has a father. Yep. And <laughs> like, it, it leaves you this gut punch of, like, this, the bad guy who is, uh, I mean, I'm sure in 1980, like, he's the most terrifying person that you've ever seen if you're, like, a five-year-old watching this movie. And you realize that he is our hero's father. And the movie just leaves you with that. There's no explanation. There's no nothing there's no real air to breathe before the movie ends you just are left there sitting thinking about it and i can't even imagine sitting with that for three years <laughs> you're just like oh god how did what what he's lying he has to be lying and that's what everybody apparently said at the time movies just don't do it anymore yeah well, they the don't they is, really don't the thing is about the, the vader reveal they didn't even they didn't tell david prouse who's the yeah, physical version. No, nobody knew. <laughs> no, no. Mark Hamill and um, James Earl Jones and Irvin Kershner and the writers and stuff. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. They, they you're were right. the only two actors who knew. And it, so, yeah. But that's so. That is my best example of an ambiguous ending. It's left, and you don't know where things are going to go. You don't know how this story is going to resolve itself you don't know how they're going to save han you don't know the exact direction of where things are going and it's not tied up in a bow or and it doesn't look nice it doesn't look good for the heroes um so that's an ambiguous ending um so we're talking about movies that you know they may not be as emotionally uh uh hard at the end but they don't end on a note where you're like oh i know exactly what's going to happen in the next movie they they leave you sort of like or if there's a case where you don't know that there will be a next movie you're just like well what's going to happen to this character and it just leaves you thinking and what we're going to talk about a lot is well does that always work um 
Because that's an interesting question that I always like to ask. Does it actually work for the movie that we're talking about? So, yeah. Uh, Eric, is there, before we start, do you have any general thoughts on ambiguous endings and when you think they work best? Um, I feel like it's counterproductive to say I hate like uh, ambiguous endings when you know there's going to be a sequel because you know it's going to start with the explanation to that and you're just left waiting but and you just gave the one of the best examples of ambiguous endings which is a movie that is exactly that mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, 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 I like endings where you just don't know you, you just left with a with something that's up to your interpretation, which mm-hmm. is confusing, but also at the same time uh, emotionally emotionally engaging. So it makes you feel something, and it makes you like. And I feel like a good uh, ambiguous ending ends in a way that's it has to be confusing, but it has to be it has to feel rewarding to a certain extent. Yes, I agree with that. Can I just um, uh, weigh in on... Sure. How, the, how rare it is that now that this happens? Because of things like... Because of mainly cinematic universes, for example, the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Yeah, they definitely have hurt that a little bit. It's a lot harder to have an ambiguous ending. Um, the the yes. most we... The most we get is actually like post-credit scenes, which is mm-hmm. like a ambiguous a reference to the future, which is not really the same thing because it feels separate from the movie itself. Yeah, and like when you do get a movie that has like a real ambiguous endings ending in these movies, you get like the worst backlash possible uh, after the fact. You get people like threatening. Um, What's his name? Director of uh, Nice Guys. Um, fuck, uh, I can't remember his name. But you get uh, the director of Iron Man three having death Shane threats. Black? Yes, Shane Black, because he left it ambiguous as to whether or not Tony Stark would be putting on the Iron Man suit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because he's kind of confusing. He says, "I am Iron Man," but he also blows up all his suits. Um, and he takes the thing out of his chest so it's kind of ambiguous and people get mad and then they talk about continuity like well why does he have his suit back on in Ultron and all that so it, it it's very hard in the cinematic universe but yeah, I think that, it's very... that's something that actually pissed off Joss Whedon because he Black didn't tell him anything about that yeah I believe it um, I'm on the side of Shane Black on this one because his movie is way better yeah uh, well, yeah, probably. Um, Iron Man three is probably like top five Marvel movies all, yeah. of all time. So it's, I yeah, I can see that. Um, yeah, I, I think in a franchise having ambiguous and having an ambiguous ending is almost, and sometimes it's almost essential. And I think that it should be utilized more because it throws the audience off. And it's, I think it's definitely. It can be beneficial if it's used correctly. Um, and we, we get that a lot more now in television than anywhere else. Yeah. Tele- television loves the ambiguous. <laughs> like, television 
it almost relies on it now in some ways um like i'm surprised when a show ends and it's it is all wrapped up in a bow like ends yeah yeah um or an, an example that is sort of a uh sort of a near ma- is a near masterpiece uh, mm. Legion season one, that ending. Legion has a very well. That's the thing; it's a post-credit ending, so it's very different. But yeah, you're right. It is like that's a weird one that I actually don't think. Well, this thing we could talk all about TV ambiguous endings at its own episode almost. So let's yeah. kind of stay with movies a little bit. Um, but one of the ones that uh, I think interests both of us is um, the ending of Barton Fink. Um, and the Barton Fink is a very interesting movie, to say the least. Um, it's a Coen Brothers movie. I believe it's either right before or right after Fargo. Um, I'm unsure. But it, came, it is... It came before Fargo. That's right. That's and, it, um, and it stars... Um, John Turturro. Yes, it stars John Turturro, um, who is... I, he's probably more of a, known as a character actor now. Uh, if you don't know who John Turturro is, I don't know how, but that's watch, your... watch Barton Fink. Yes, definitely watch Barton Fink. Um, and uh, if you are like a TV junkie and you like like true crime stuff, um, The Night of is also very good. And uh, he and his last one of his last scenes in that in that um, show is like a you're going to remember me for this type of scene. Like, it's one of those big, bombastic scenes. It's like, this is, this is, this is John Turturro. And he's, so it's, it's a very good piece. And he's great in everything. Like, can I talk I don't, about something he's great in just for like a minute? Because it's, sure. it's the inner New Yorker in me. Okay. Uh, he played Billy Martin on... In, on the ESPN miniseries The Bronx is Burning based on the book of the same name. Huh. Who, and for, the, for those of you who don't know, Billy Martin was the was a manager he managed the New York Yankees during the 70, during the 70s, 80s and is responsible for them getting back to the uh, getting back into what they what they were before Sam Brenner bought the team, and he is just, okay. That that sounds very interesting. Um, yeah, I'm gonna have to actually watch that because that sounds really it's good. Got, um, um, who was who, who was it that played the Man in Black from X Men First Class? Oh, I know what you're talking about. Um, yeah, he plays George Steinbrenner, and it's hmm. it is spot on. Yeah, so John Turturro, great in everything. He can show up in a Transformers movie for five minutes and be the best part of the movie um, before we have to get back to robots smashing into each yeah. other. Um, I think we need to specify that we probably will go into spoilers for all the movies we're going to talk about. So probably. It's 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 very likely. Um, uh, there's one movie on here. It's like you can talk about the ending and not spoil anything, but that's fine. Um, 
But yeah, uh, so this is Martin Fink, loosely based off of uh, the feeling that uh, the Home Brothers had after, um, I believe it was Blood Simple, because uh, they were writing it at the same time as they were um, working on other things, and they were sort of in Hollywood for the first time, and they were sort of getting out their feelings about Hollywood and uh, yeah. the experience of being put up in a hotel by the studio. And um, it's very interesting what they're kind of saying about that, um, because they're putting it through the lens of sort of 19... I think it's 30s Hollywood? I mean, the 40s. It's 40s Hollywood, and it's it's interestingly enough, it's the exact same studio that um, is the studio from their most recent film. Hell with, Caesar? Yes, Hell Caesar. It's the same studio, which I realized as I was watching the movie, I was like, oh, and, <laughs> oh, wait, like, it's a it's a sequel. Like, it's it's kind of a sequel to the movie in many, many ways, and uh, I guess if you rewatch Hail Caesar, there's a picture of, um, I can't remember this actor's name, uh, I think it's W.P. Mayhew is the character he plays, um, but he's a he's another character actor. Uh, for some reason, my first reference is uh, the mayor from 1998's Godzilla. Um, so if you know that actor, uh, he's... John, most- John Mahoney. Yes. Um, I'm cheating. I have uh, the page in front of me. So. Are, I don't know. Is John, is John Mahoney Fraser's dad? Oh, wait. I think you might be right. I can't remember, but he's he's definitely in the movie, and he's playing like the studio executive. But again... Hail Caesar! You see, like a picture of him. Wait. Point is, in Godzilla, was it which was he was he Ebert or Siskel? Uh, I think he might have been Ebert. I don't remember. Um, I don't remember Godzilla that well. So <laughs> for that one specifically, it's good. That that you don't oh, that you don't remember most of it. Yeah, it's very good. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of good character actors in this movie. A lot of good character actors. You got John Goodman in this movie, and but so that's the thing. None of this has really much to do with the ending, because the ending is um, has a lot to do with this uh, element that sort of goes in and out of the movie, which is Martin Fink is this writer. He's a playwright um, who sees what he's doing in Hollywood is kind of below him. He is writing a wrestling picture um, for a big Hollywood studio, and he does not know... He's never even seen a wrestling picture. And it's it's so fascinating. In the 1930s, it was wrestling. In the 1940s, it would probably have been westerns. Um, nowadays, it would definitely be a comic book movie <laughs> that he would be writing. It would be like a Green Lantern type thing or something like that. Um, and it's so funny. Like, it doesn't matter. It works. It doesn't matter what era of Hollywood you're in. There's always like that one genre that everybody looks down on a little bit, um, and it's seen as slumming it. And it just works so perfectly, even now. Um, but yeah, but there's this thing in the hotel room where he's constantly looking at this like picture in his hotel room of this like beautiful girl on a beach, and um, I'm. And it sort of is just this, uh, what's it called? Uh, it's like the suitcase in um, Pulp Fiction. It's a, uh, I'm forgetting the words. MacGuffin? Words are not coming. Yes, it's a MacGuffin, sort of. Um, loose, light MacGuffin. Um, 
but it's sort of this thing that comes up throughout the movie of him looking at the picture and it like moves occasionally um because barton may or may not be going crazy um I, i'm unsure you might just have cabin fever from being in a room for so long oh, and yeah. um bit of both yeah yeah um and he rarely ever leaves the room i think he leaves it like twice maybe three times in the whole movie um he really spends a lot of time in this room um sort of dealing with his own inner feelings his own inner turmoil uh about being where he is about being where he is in his life it sort of deals with you know am i even good at this do i even am i actually a good writer um and all these questions come all from slumming it in his own mind. Um, so it deals with a lot of stuff. And this painting just is this constant thing that he's going back to. Um, and at the end, he kind of walks up to a beach and he sees a girl who looks exactly out of the painting. Or is it, a, I don't remember if it's a photo or a painting or a postcard, um, something in between. Um, sure. And like, yeah. It's, but it's definitely her. Like it's the same girl, and it looks like it's like the exact same moment. Um, and it kind of just ends um, after she assumes the exact pose, um, and after he tells her he does not know what's in the box. Yeah, and what it contains or nor who owns it um you know i'm reading from the wiki he meets a woman who looks just like the one in the picture on his wall at the earl which is the name of the hotel she asks about a box he's carrying and then it and it kind of just ends and that's that's it um and it's it's definitely a very interesting ending i have no clue what it is. <laughs> like usually when these these unresolved endings happen i have a theory about what it all means what the point of it is i don't know and i'm kind of all right with it i do think Martin thing is a movie you need to watch multiple times to really like have an idea of it um but eric since you brought it up you're the one who sort of put it on the list i want to hear if you have a theory about what the girl means what the painting means what the box means I don't know, I feel like the the easy answer to say would be he he when he finally went crazy and she's just imagining the girl from the painting or he died and that's his heaven, the girl from the painting. That feels like a too easy and not probably not the intention. Yeah. I I'm see here's the thing, I think that's that's almost plausible because of the last act of the movie it's almost dream logic. Yeah. Um, like John Goodman, who was <laughs> who was revealed to be uh, John Goodman is in this movie. In case you didn't catch that before, uh, John Goodman is like a serial killer. Yeah. Um, and at one point, he even says Heil Hitler. Um, I don't. I don't nothing remember about, that part. <laughs> <laughs> like he, like he, I think I erased that from my memory. <laughs> he has like a gunfight with these two FBI agents or whatever, and before blowing one of, before they're blowing one of their heads off, he says Heil Hitler. <laughs> and I don't remember this in the movie at all. And I think, or I don't remember the context of it really, but 
I don't think he's actually a Nazi based off the clues that they give you throughout the movie. Like, he does not seem like that kind of guy. It seems like it's the things like, I'm just going to say this because it's, it's the interesting. funny thing to say, yeah. It's like... pretty one. Uh, yeah, it's like... Yeah, it's kind of weird, but um, it doesn't... Again, it doesn't really fit his character, but he's like a maniac, so if you yeah. believe that maniacs, crazy people, don't necessarily believe everything they say, it it works. Um... Yeah, he he's like a total utter serial killer, but everything he does applies dream logic applies. Like he steps through a fire or through a door makes, doorway. Makes him appear like devil like. Yeah. And he's again he steps through a doorway that's completely on fire. Yeah. And he doesn't catch on fire. Um so the movie it really just embraces dream logic. Dream logic has been throughout the movie before. There's a lot of things that don't quite make sense um within reality, but the third act really like dives into like, oh no, this is this might not be real. This could all be a dream. So I would be willing to buy that maybe earlier in the movie John Turturro died at some point and that this is all just a dream that we're seeing. It's Maybe it's just his mind slowly degenerating from him going crazy from not understanding, or even him uh, giving more sense to things that don't really matter a lot, like the picture on the wall and the, and mm-hmm. and inventing a story about a murder and all that. Just yeah, just to I don't know, I'm not sure. I mean, he his. Again, we're spoiling this movie hard. His his he could have had a complete mental breakdown after waking up next to a dead woman. Yeah. Um, which is the thing that happens in this movie. And just everything from there is just what's in his head. It's just him trying to rationalize what's going on around him. That's why John Goodman suddenly becomes like the West Coast's biggest serial killer at the moment. Um and that's how he's able to dispense with these FBI agents very easily um, so yeah there's a lot of impossibilities and I, I do think that the theory that the last part of the movie is a dream makes the most sense um, and that's why the box and the girl is happening um, I, I guess I'll to talk about it a little bit more though I think the I, I think the painting is just a painting and it might not actually be the painting that he's seeing um just possible and yeah maybe all the dream logic stuff is uh, real maybe he is imagining a lot of what's going on but he just happens to stumble on to a girl who is in a situation who looks like what he wanted and the painting is just what he wants in life really like he is a as for someone who claims to be so complicated and claims to have all these high goals and this high meaning behind what he does for a living he's really just a very simple man wants very simple things and he refuses to believe that um and towards the last part of the movie was the last half he sort of starts to embrace it very slowly he just he has no problem uh, cheating with his idol, like cheating with the lover of his idol, um, or she's cheating with him. Just to be clear, um, so he has no problem like just doing things that you know, as someone again who claims to be as you know 
principled as he is, who would never stoop so low as to writing a movie about wrestling, um, he sort of embraces just the base needs of being a person, like just the very base desires that we have towards the last half of the movie. And the painting is just a representation of base desires and base needs and how no one, as much as they claim, is immune to base things. That, that So that would be my theory on that movie. I, I don't know. Eric, does that sound plausible yeah, to you? I, I like that theory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Um, uh, Alan, are you interested in seeing this movie? I don't know if you've actually seen it or not. <laughs> but after hearing it described, does it sound like an interesting movie to you? Yeah. Okay, I'm I'm glad. We might have gotten Alan to watch a watch an older Cohen's brother Cohen brothers movie he hasn't seen. Um I was actually thinking of a movie that that I I I could be wrong because I haven't it's been a while since I've seen it. But No Country for Old Men. It's very similar to that in many ways. Um I guess we can I had another one that I kind of wanted to talk about. Um, so Zodiac, which is... You go in knowing it's unsolved. Yeah, um, exactly. You go but, in... Yeah. Because um, yeah. uh, the Zodiac Killer is the... I, it's fair to say he's the um, Jack the Ripper of the modern era, right? I, f- I feel like that's that's a fair comparison. Um, Zodiac Killer, for those who are unaware, was a spree killer in the 1960s into the 70s. Um, he was never caught, as far as we know. Um, he's There are many people who like to believe that he is also um, the killer who's the subject of the film The Town That Feared Sundown, which has been copied many, many times. It's a major inspiration for Friday the 13th and Halloween. Um so there's a lot of different theories about the Zodiac as like him being responsible for other well-known serial killers' killings and that he was doing what he did in California for many years before and he was just honing his skills. Um, so that's a whole different rabbit hole to go down. That's very interesting. You should definitely look into it in your free time. Um, I will. Yes, it's it's fascinating. <laughs> it's fascinating stuff. But the, So yeah, Zodiac Killer was never tracked down, never captured as far as anybody knows. Um and uh there are a lot of theories about it. And Dad the Cruz. book with Zodiac <laughs> That's a that's a and uh, of course as we all know, um presidential candidate, former presidential candidate. Um and the only person who was a worse choice than our current president, um, Ted Cruz was widely believed to be the <laughs> The Zodiac Killer, um, which is still hilarious. Um, but yes, he was widely believed to be the Zodiac Killer and a time traveler, um, which is the only way that makes sense. But yeah, so Zodiac was never caught. The book that Zodiac, the film to, from 2006, is based off of uh, highly, highly suggests that uh, Arthur Lee Allen, I believe, was the killer. Um, and the movie kind of supports that it definitely leans in that direction um but what's interesting about the movie is that i felt the movie almost ended as it's not even a suggestion it's 
fact how yeah. the how the scene happens, how the ending happens. Yes, and what I what I think what one of the things I love about the movie is that never becomes the movie. Like that's a thing that happens, and it very much suggests that he was the killer. And you definitely get the idea that maybe this is what Fincher thinks. Also, yeah, probably. he's not just. He's not just coming to the same conclusion or supporting that conclusion. This is his conclusion as well. Um, but the movie never makes it about that. It he, it always makes it about the people that were trying to catch the Zodiac. That they are the subject of the movie. Um, certain characters fall off as the movie goes on, and towards the end, it really does kind of become about Gyllenhaal. Um, but it really focuses on Robert Downey Jr.'s character and his dealings with the Zodiac and how the Zodiac affects his life. And you don't get as... I only, and this is one of my only criticisms of this movie because I really love it. Um, you don't get as much Mark Ruffalo, I think, as you do Hall or Robert Downey Jr. Um, you don't get as much of how it affected his life. Did it affect his marriage? Um, to how did how did this get made fans you would know this woman uh, June Diane Raphael plays his wife so that's a neat little cameo um, but yeah you really do focus throughout most of this movie on the people that were trying to catch the Zodiac Killer the people that became obsessed with him or who you know their careers were changed by him you know, their careers were stained by it in some cases. Um, and it really focuses on the people and not so much the salaciousness of killings. Um, and that's something I really appreciate about the movie. So where it becomes unresolved is, again, we never get a solid answer as to who the Zodiac Killer actually was. We get clues and we get evidence and we get things that definitely suggest it was probably Arthur Lee. Arthur Lee Allen. Um, the movie ends with one of the first victims we see basically saying as much. But Arthur Lee Allen never went to prison. He never got convicted. Um, for all we know, the Zodiac was still committing murders up until... I mean, he might, if he's still alive, if he wasn't Arthur Lee Allen, he could still be committing murders now. We just don't know it. Um, and that's what makes the Zodiac terrifying is Zodiac could still be out there. Um, most people don't believe he is. But yeah, that's what makes the movie unresolved, is that you never get the solid answer. Um, but you do get sort of resolution to where these people's lives go and who they become as a result of this infamous legend, sort of. So that's that's something. Um, what are your feelings sort of on the ending, Eric? Uh, I feel like I will, it's it's weird because it's a real story and it ends with like the 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 scene with uh, uh, the victim uh, mm-hmm. picking picking him from the police mugshot is like it feels how it's shot how it's given it feels almost like it's like oh this is the killer and mm-hmm. also the last scene with Jake and Hall's character and. Uh, and uh, Archer Lathe, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, and and the and his character, um, it feels almost like a finality, 
but it's not because then you get the after credits the real story and then you you know it, he's, he was never caught and you it's it's interesting because I don't think another movie has done it feels like one is the opposite of the other and but they work well together because you're, you you feel like oh the movie gave me an answer but it's not but then you know there's no answer and it's even more confusing and it works uh, it works better yeah yeah definitely and and it just it just all works so well and you yeah. and again like the zodiac killer never is the focus of the movie and that's i think that's what's interesting is that like you never get confirmation from the camera which is a character in this movie. Yeah. Like, you never see the Zodiac's face head-on. You hear his voice, and, and this is another interesting choice that I think Fincher made, is that when you hear the Zodiac's voice, his voice is never the same. Um, there are multiple times where it is um, the actor who played Arthur Leal. Multiple times where it is him, who's... He also has a three-word name that I'm forgetting at the moment um but he's a uh, he's been in a lot of a lot of other movies john carol lynch john that's right john carol lynch um and he's been in a lot of he's been in a lot of stuff um if you saw his face you would instantly recognize him but he he's the voice of the zodiac for multiple times throughout the film um and but again, you you never see like his face well lit, and you're like, oh, he's definitely the Zodiac. How have they not caught him? They he just keeps it so unresolved, just like in real life. Again, we never caught the Zodiac, so that's that's really where that sort of ends as far as like any sort of comment we can make on it, I guess. But it, it's just, it's interesting that real life sort of sometimes is the greatest unresolved. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Speaking of uh, murderers, mm-hmm. something I forgot to mention about uh, Bronx's Burning. Mm. It's got the sports stuff that happened in 1977. Mm-hmm. And the like that's 50% of the story. Mm-hmm. The other half of the story is the Son of Sam stuff. Oh, okay. Well, I'm now I'm even more interested because Son of Sam is it's it's very interesting. Um, okay, I'm I'm definitely gonna need to watch this out. You're just throwing, you keep on throwing the suggestion, and I you keep on adding more elements that make me want to watch it. Um, yeah, I just remembered that when you were you two were talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I guess Eric, unless you have final thoughts on Zodiac, I think we can move to another yeah. one. Um. I Is there another... In, I can go into the next one? Yeah, you, you Maybe. the next one. Um, uh, one recent movie that I feel has been... has had its ending debated more than probably any other in recent memory, I feel, is probably Inception. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very... <laughs> it's a very interesting movie to discuss. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, for those who have not seen Inception, again, I don't know who you are. What I don't, are you I don't, doing I don't here? feel we need to even introduce. Yeah. Yeah, it's. Yeah. Uh, you were yeah. recording with someone who has not seen Inception. Because. Okay, I, Alan? I didn't get it. Okay. I could not understand it. What do you mean you couldn't understand it? 
Okay, you've clearly seen some of it. Well, okay, where did it lose you exactly? Right around where when Ellen Page showed up. Okay, you you clearly need to watch the movie again because you, and you need to just keep on watching. Um, okay. Um, a short story about that movie. I went to see it with like a friend of my friend, and we all loved it. Except, mm-hmm. I learned later that the guy was that was we were five of us, and the guy I was at one end, and the guy that was at the other end fell asleep during the movie. Well, <laughs> in theaters, I don't know how he can fall asleep to a Christopher Nolan movie because they're just so loud, but he did. Yeah, <laughs> and we were in the car discussing it because there's so much to talk about. So much like, like uh, comparing notes, I guess, and he he was driving and he put the radio louder, so he <laughs> just to tell us to shut up because he really really didn't like it. <laughs> oh, Whew. well, um, that's interesting. <laughs> but um, yeah, like, like there are some very loud points in that movie where you're like, holy shit! Like the gun sounds sound very real, and like when the train comes through those cars um just i'm gonna spoil the hell out of this because alan uh, alan this is your fault as it usually is <laughs> um this is your own fault um but yeah okay so for those who don't know the ending of inception um the ending of inception it ends with leo's home and he has you know for the purpose of the story succeeded that's all i'll say because i'll be nice to alan um but yeah, he has succeeded um, in what he was trying to do. Um, knowing, not knowing what he is trying to do, will help you, and you will, you should still enjoy it if you decide to watch it. For those who have not also seen it, um, but at the end, they sort of have set up throughout the movie this idea of the totem, and the totem is this thing that lets uh, sort of dream explorers or dream thieves dream stealers or idea stealers you know um people who go into your dream and they take things basically they take whatever's valuable to somebody else uh, that they can sell um they have these totems that allow them to know when they're in a dream or, or when they're in reality um because i guess it's a thing where sometimes you stay too long and you don't know which is which you lose track of whether you're in the real world or you're in the dream world. Um, and they sort of explain it as sometimes people build dreams that are too real and they start to get lost. Um, but it ends with this totem that's been set up of a top that spins. And if you're in a dream, it just keeps on spinning. It keeps on spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning into eternity um, if it's in a dream. If you're in the real world, it eventually topples, as most tops tend to do. Um, and it, the movie ends after Leonardo DiCaprio has spun this top, and it cuts right before you would know that the top was about to topple. Um, you do not know whether you're in a dream world or if you're in the real world. You can and figure they, out... Based then off- you kind of hear a noise that's like... Maybe it fell just to make it a bit more confusing. Yep. And, um, I mean, if you pay attention to the movie, you can definitely come up with your own theory 
as to whether or not he was in a dream or not. But that's what makes it unresolved, is you can have discussion. Yeah. Uh, I, feel, I feel like the, the ending works so well because it makes like part of the movie re- retroactively so much better. Like the every scene with his... The, the whole scene with his wife. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So, it, it, it feels like it... it uh, First viewing, you don't even think about it because everything is... It's all dreams. It's all told from his point of view because they're more or less his dreams and it's his movie, Leo's character. But then you watch the ending and you're like, oh, maybe maybe that's what he thought, but he, maybe he was wrong all along. And I, I just feel like it, it builds to it so well and it's a perfect end note. Yeah, it is. It's a very... It's a very good way to end that movie. It yeah. really does. It fits within the story, and it again, it's so well set up. This idea of this top, um, that when it ends that way, you're not surprised. You're like, of course, that's how they end it. Of course, that's how they're gonna do it. Um, nothing else would make any sense. Um, and but yeah, like it's again, like they set up so much for people to be on either side like you could be completely on the side of none of it was a dream and they went in and they did the mission uh he dealt yeah he dealt with all the stuff and that's it but there's enough there to suggest that maybe it is all just in a dream the way that it ends with the van they cut away from the van sort of coming out of the river when you don't see Leo, if I'm unless I'm mistaken, um, and you don't actually know if Saito uh, got himself out of, um, I guess it's what would it be Limbo Two, Limbo Level Two. Um, I guess Limbo is just infinite levels down. Um, but yeah, you don't know if he got Saito out. Um, so it's very interesting that the way that it ends and it does it it leaves enough information to suggest both sides um and it's a movie that is infinitely fun to discuss and tear apart and come to your own conclusions about you can just i mean when i need to get to sleep at night (laughs) when i have insomnia at times um i will just start thinking about inception to sort of tire myself out uh because it is just like a it's an interesting movie to think about and to discuss and to discuss with yourself and sort of go over all the different possibilities in your head. So, yeah. And I feel like that's the best, uh, best signifier of a great, uh, a great, uh, like, uh, unresolved ending and a great ambiguous ending. Yes, I, I agree. I think that's, that's what makes these the most interesting, which it, when they're interesting to discuss or when nothing else would make sense um and i didn't answer the question i asked you earlier which is where do you think they come in best and for me it's when when it fits the story that they're telling and when the story that they're telling should be left unresolved um uh, another example we didn't write down on our list previously but i i feel like you've probably seen it recently which is gone girl Gone yeah. Girl needs that ending. Any other ending would be wrong. There's no other ending for that movie. No other ending. You don't know what's going to happen at the end of that movie. You don't know how 
Roseman Pike, uh, kind of spoiler. You don't know how Ben Affleck and her are going to get through things. Yeah. Uh, you they don't know. To, you don't know how they're going to live with each other. You don't know if next week Ben Affleck is actually going to kill her or not. Um, and you've learned a lot about her character. <laughs> to know that if he did, she would probably know about it before he had even decided to do it. Um you realize that she is probably a few chess moves ahead of him at all times. Um, and so, yeah, it's a very interesting movie, but it needs that ending. Any, again, anything else would not work. Um, you can't have it end with him losing his daughter or anything or his potential child or whatever. Uh, any other ending would make no sense. And so, so that is sort of my other favorite version of uh, unresolved ending. Yeah, no, it's perfect. It closes a circle, but it's like uh, <laughs> the way the way it ends is yeah. No, that's another perfect ending. I think sure is good at those. It really is. Um, Seven is another one that's kind of unresolved. Um, he does. A, he likes unresolved endings. Um, yeah. Fight Club is very unresolved. Um, I, I would say he's one of the better people doing unresolved endings today. Um, yeah. And. And again, it always works with the story that you're telling. Fight Club should end that way. Um, you know, whether you like the movie or not, you know, I, I'm not the biggest fan of it, but that's the perfect ending for that movie. Um, so that I, I do love that. Um, and another one that's on the list um, uh, that I haven't seen recently, but it's definitely worth talking about, is uh, In All Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Um... And one of the things that you learn towards the end of the movie is that the entire experience that you've been seeing is kind of cyclical. Um, and, again, basic plot of the movie, Jim Carrey is just a guy who recently got broken up with by, you know, as he says, the love of his life or whatever. And it's very emotional, and you see him driving while listening to sad music, um and just feeling those feels and he lives in sort of this near future where they have this technology that allows you to have memories removed um and it's treated very seriously and very real and you know there's this line in the movie you know well will there be any brain damage as a result of this and the doctor says well what we're doing is brain damage so yes um <laughs> isn't it uh michael wilkinson who plays the doctor i think it is yeah um but uh and there's a lot of i'm remembering subplots of that movie uh like the guy who is doing his brain stuff i think he's with um kate winslet i can't remember for sure but so what you learn sort of towards the end I don't remember how you learned this, is that they might have done this a few times before. Like, this might be their fifth or sixth time erasing uh, each other's memory, uh, going to this place and forgetting that they were ever together, and they've sort of... they've. This is not the first time that they've been through this. And it's it's a very interesting sort of metaphor for life and relationships and how we repeat ourselves um, There's all the time. There's also a uh, subplot with uh, Kirsten Dunst 
and Michael Wilson, Wilkinson and Mark Ruffalo. Yeah, I, I need yeah. to. This is a movie I need to rewatch no, because it is. Yeah. There's so Michelle much. Michelle Gondry but... is one of my favorite like storytellers. She's... He's he's one of those directors that I think people forget how he is. Um, that just they they don't they don't appreciate him. Yeah, and um, Charlie Kaufman writing that movie. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's, like, I feel like he's the best screenwriter, maybe or probably. Yeah, like of the of his generation, he might be. Yeah, uh, he's he's up there. He's one he's, of the best. An old, um, an old director. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that movie—it's but the the ending of that movie is so great because again, like you can have all kinds of theories about the ending of that movie. You could come out of that movie thinking, no, they won't do it again. But you could also come out of that movie thinking, no, they've said that to themselves many times that they won't do it again. Yeah, they probably they will. will. Yeah. They pro they will do this again. They will go through it all again, and they will have the same problems all over again, and. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a very interesting movie for the it's same a, similar reasons. Um, it's a, okay. Like it's a movie very much about how you can change, but the person you are, you can try to forget, but the person you are will still be the same. And mm -hmm. yeah, even yeah, and at the bed, uh, it's a movie that tries to make it make its point that you shouldn't try to forget. You should try to change. And be better, and take an experience, and live with it. And I don't know. It feels like the ending is perfect for that because you almost know what's going to happen next. Mm -hmm. All right. And um, so I don't have actually any. So I did one final thing about unresolved endings in general, and it's really about times when I think it doesn't work. Um, and we're going to have to use movies that I think neither of us have seen. So it's okay with you, Eric. I'm going to go into light spoilers. About it only comes at night. Is that fine? I want to ask uh, first. Or it comes at night. Um, <laughs> you know, you go, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I'm going to try. I, that's the thing. What I'm going to go into is I'm going to leave out the stuff with, to do with the actual like ending of the movie. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, but so so it comes at night. It's a very good movie, and I want you to come up with an example of something I haven't seen. So we're we're both spoiling things a little bit for each other um but it comes at night it's a post-apocalyptic movie it kind of it has a very similar vibe to the walking dead if you're looking for a comparison um it's very well done it's sort of again it comes at night is sort of a what's it called um the video game that everybody loves it's uncharted developers um last of us. the last of us it's very last of us feel um but it's just about this family it's a guy and his wife and his son. Uh, and it starts with them burying uh, their grandfather, uh, or the son's grandfather, uh, his maternal grandfather. Um, and, him, and the movie throughout is sort of lightly about him dealing with loss. Um, so that's sort of an interesting, and that doesn't ruin anything, trust me. But so as the movie goes on, they introduce other characters, and things happen. Um, and there's naturally some minor conflict between these other characters. But there's also this subplot, which the movie is titled on, 
like the title of the movie is this thing out in the wilderness that we never see. It's never explained. Um, but it's just this it that is out there somewhere. And the movie does nothing to explain what the it is. And there's an argument that could be made that that's the intention of the filmmaker. And the movie ends without any explanation of what it is. Um, and it, it's a problem with the movie for me. It's one of the, like, if, for me, I, I came out of the movie thinking, okay, that was great, but where's the last 20 minutes where this movie really ties things up and finishes? Because it feels like, oh, no, there's another at least 10 minutes maybe even more, where the it makes its appearance and the movie actually ends. So it's kind of like the movie ends in the second act. Um, And for me, it's an unresolved ending that does not work um, at all. It ends after other things have happened. It ends after other emotional things have happened. Very emotional things have happened. But they're so... The things that happen are so emotionally rough that it doesn't feel right. It leaves you with a very bad taste in your mouth. And not in a way that is like, oh, this is interesting to discuss. Or this is something that helps the movie. No, it hurts it, for me at least. It really like leaves you on a sour note. And that's the thing. Unresolved endings don't have to leave you on a happy note. But they need to make sense within the context of the story that you've already established. And this movie, it doesn't quite make sense for me enough. Because, they, again, they sort of emphasize that this it exists, but it's there enough that you want more, and that's the problem. Like, if the, if the idea is that there's this creature out there or something that sort of represents dread and represents the other... And if it was only there for a scene, and again, if the title of the movie were not It Comes at Night, um, like, it would completely change the movie and it would be fine. But this movie really, like, it leads you in a certain direction and then it pulls the rug out from under you. How how does it... No, no, I cannot get it, but how do you feel it compares to, like, something like um, 10 Cloverfield Lane, which is not about... It's similarly not about what's outside, mm-hmm. but it kind of is, and then you learn what it is, and it's like a part of the movie, and it's not, it's, it's, it's mm-hmm. the worst part of the film. I, personally, I like, I kind of like that scene, and I, I feel like it kind of worked, but it's really the weakest part of the movie. Here's the thing, that's, a, that's an absolutely great comparison. That is a that is a perfect comparison. They are very similar in many ways. Um, and you're right. Like the movie definitely has or Ten Cloverfield Lane. I have to be very specific. Ten Cloverfield Lane definitely has like a pace, and it goes on that pace, and it kind of should end ten minutes earlier than it does. That said, and this is this is where I do have this is where I appreciate stuff. Her arc, personally, isn't over yet until she knows what's going on. So you still needed 
something where she learns what is actually going on out there. And yeah, just just her seeing the spaceships would have been an interesting ending, but I don't think it really would have sold what was going on enough. Does that if that make sense? But you no, really I mean, need to. You know, I, it, no, I think it works because it works with the character, and it's all about her, and it's all about her her growth and mm-hmm. where she ends. Yes, yeah. it's made only stronger because of that scene. I feel, even though it doesn't feel like yeah. the rest of the film, it's. I, I feel like it, they could have done something similar, but not as extravagant, and it would have worked better. But true, I, but I do it, think it, it's uh, still, thematically it works really well. Yeah, I don't think you needed the flying alien. Yeah. Um, you, you didn't need the the giant. Uh, you know, unused special effect from the Avengers um, to show up quite, or or to feature as prominently as he did, um, or as whatever that creature was did. And I, I do agree. And I think that sort of the version of Ten Cloverfield Lane that I'm suggesting, where you know there is sort of a conflict, and she realizes that there is something out there, and it is that sort of display of no, she is a different person. She is not the girl who runs away now. She's the person who runs towards danger. She doesn't run away from things that scare her. She runs towards it, and she faces it head-on. And she's a different person now. And um, I feel like you could have had sort of that moment in It Comes at Night. Again, there's an it out there. And it's very clear that there is something out there with some sort of abilities or some sort of intelligence. And you don't really get an idea of what this thing actually is. Um, and again, like that's my main problem with the movie is there's really no explanation. There's a lot of hints, and you can come up with your own idea of what it is, and that's fascinating. That's interesting to to discuss as much as you want to. Uh, and I'm trying to be very vague, but that's not. You can't do that if the movie is really leaning on setting this up. And making you think that it's going to be important later on. And again, like there have been other times where certain directors have done similar things, and it's fine that they leave it unresolved. But this time, I don't think it works. I don't. I just don't think it works at all. Uh, again, I can't get into any more deeper details about why until you've actually seen the movie. But um, I, I wish I'd seen it before now. But um, again, I, I think I've left most of the meat out of this but so that's my problem with that movie in particular is there another one that i haven't seen that you that's where you think it just doesn't work where the unresolved ending doesn't make sense i've been trying to think about something for the whole time we're talking but i i don't think i have i was thinking about uh, honestly the end to cloverfield and how it compares because i don't i think it. I think it works as a counterexample of what you say, but yeah, yeah, that's fine. Because here's the thing: usually, when you see it, it does work. Um, at least for me, I, I, and I do think that is the problem. Like the fact that it comes at night just didn't work for me. It might just be a personal thing. It might be like I really like monsters, and I'm not a fan of um, what's the word? What would the word be? Monster teasing. Um, I'm not a fan of that. So for me, it might just be like, well, you set up what could be an interesting monster and you didn't show the monster. So that might just be a me thing. 
But um, usually these unresolved endings, they work well, and I enjoy them because the director who's doing it has a handle over what they're doing. Um, and a what lot of times... I, what if I give a bad one that I haven't seen, but you have? And not good. <laughs> but, but you know that it's bad. That's fine. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Uh, now you see me? Oh, okay. Like, um... I don't know if that works, but I'm always game to shit on Now You See Me. Um, it's like, I don't know, it's a... It is unresolved. Yeah, it's a, it's a movie that tries to explain everything, right? And it ends with there okay, being so, actual magic, more or less. So, if you ignore the sequel, I feel like... Yeah, okay, so if you... Okay, so Now You See Me ends with a big twist. Yeah. Which is for those who haven't seen it. I'm I'm sorry. No, I'm don't really care. Sorry. Nobody cares. <laughs> but um, well, yeah. Um, but now you see me ends with Mark Ruffalo revealing that he has been behind it the whole time. <laughs> he is the Kaiser Sose of uh, oh, yeah. another another great example. We can't go into it right now because we do want to keep this short. Um, but yeah, if you haven't seen Usual Suspects, great unresolved ending. Go watch that. It's great. Um, but um, the Kaiser Soze of Now You See Me is Mark Ruffalo. Um, and I guess it is kind of unresolved because you don't know where things are going, assuming you haven't seen the sequel. Um, but it, yeah, you're right. Like They kind of hint at there actually being magic, um, which they completely ignore in the second movie. <laughs> <laughs> they give actual explanation for things, but their explanations are more um, far-fetched and just crazy than they were in the first one, which is something I never thought was possible um, because it's just, it gets really, really ridiculous. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, yeah, that's a good example of a bad one though. Um, all right. Uh, Eric, unless you have like any final thoughts on sort of unresolved endings or another movie that you really want to talk about, because we could do multiple episodes on this. Yeah, um, no, I, I feel like uh, we can't not mention like David Lynch, which is probably the best at that. I feel like the best at giving an ending that has no real answer, but the answer is really how you interpret it. Like, yeah. uh, like re- recently, the ending to Twin Peaks uh, mm-hmm. Season 3 is pretty much maybe my favorite ending to a TV show ever, and it's perfect, and it makes no direct sense but it's it can have multiple interpretations i feel like it's Mm -hmm. it's the best kind of those right and mulholland drive which is maybe the one that's considered its best movie is another example of that that ends with the last like 15 20 minutes or feel like out of another movie in the Mm -hmm. same way uh like 2001 in Space Odyssey does. And, yeah. And I feel like it's hard to make an ending like that, and it's, it, it probably shouldn't work to make something so out of left field considering the rest of the plot and the teams. But when it works, it makes for some of the best movies Ever, which is the case in like Mulholland Drive and 2001 Space Odyssey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah, Lynch is really good at it. Another, another David from that same era who's <laughs> yeah. really good at it is a uh, Cronenberg. Um, 
the endings to a lot of his 80s movies are very unresolved. Um, and they're unresolved in the best way. Um, the fly is so unresolved, but so sad also at the end. And you don't know what's going to happen again, assuming you didn't watch the sequel, which is technically <laughs> canon. Um, or if you've ever seen Scanners, uh, Scanners has one hell of an ending. <laughs> Um, which uh, we won't go into, but... Um, I feel like we'll have a David Lynch episode and a David Cronenberg episode eventually. Yeah, because they definitely deserve them. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, like, there's a, there's a lot of directors who I think are like, oh, th- they're good at it. This is what they do. Um, yeah. Another uh, director... I mean, a lot of directors have used recently. Um, I think the ending of Chronicle is a great unresolved ending from recent years. Again... No, we can't go full into it, but there are a lot of great ones. Uh, probably movies that you love that have great unresolved endings. Um, again, the second Planet of the Apes movie from this new franchise, unresolved ending. Actually, all the old ones. They all end with like a, a dark Twilight Zone type ending. <laughs> where, it's, where it's like, oh shit. Um, spoilers for the second of the original Planet of the Apes movie, that movie ends with the entire planet getting blown up by nuclear missiles. So, <laughs> if you haven't <laughs> seen that movie, uh, it's dark as fuck. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of unresolved endings um, that are probably in some of your favorite movies and you just didn't realize that that's what it was. And it might be the thing that you like about it. Um, so yeah, I guess that's my sort of final thinking thoughts on unresolved endings. Um all right. Um, guess we can say goodbye to the audience now. Uh, Eric, would you like to plug things and stuff? Um, uh, my f- the best thing you can do is follow me on Twitter. I am at e s a y o u r e s a r, and uh, look for my review of every film I watch on there. <laughs> very short reviews. Yes, very good. Very, very short, but very insightful, and usually pretty spot on um except for his review of the thing where he besperches the one that is kurt russell but um that's another topic for another <laughs> time um yeah you can follow me uh at a haro on twitter also probably responding to his reviews either when i agree with them a lot or again when he besperches kurt russell um but uh yeah so go there follow me and uh, our engineer would you like to plug plug things uh, for things you can follow me on twitter at broken alamir that's instead of a three or a seven e it's a three mm. and yeah um like subscribe and rate uh the game hour on itunes Yep. And uh it is coming in twenty eighteen. <laughs> oh, oh snap. Um Damn Alan. Uh drop that real hard. Um but yeah. Uh that video game hours you said is a one of many podcasts. Um if you're listening to this, you already know that this is the Lost Horror podcast. Uh we're at the moment of this recording uh have two other podcasts. We might have a fourth one or something by the time this comes out, who knows? Um, so yeah, you can also follow F A W no F W A Q. Uh, uh, also found Lost Harrow 
front page under podcasts. Um, so yeah, go there, subscribe there, like, rate. Um, for those for the of these podcasts, the ones that have YouTube channels, please subscribe. Um, and again, like like these videos or whatever. Share the podcast with your friends. Let them know that you like it. So yay! That's I guess plugs for stuff. Um, and read all the stuff on the Lost Horrors and things. So yeah. Bye. Bye. Bye.